The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. Hey, Dr. Bill here. We are going to have an amazing Meet the Mentor with my friend Michael. Uh, Before we do, I just need to tell you something. We had our weekly executive meeting and we really had to kind of sit down and decide what we're going to do with LEAP this year. Um, A lot of conferences are being canceled, so here's the latest and greatest with LEAP. We are going full steam ahead. We're planning to have the program in the event that we can't. And I know a lot of universities are closing down and whatnot. We will still have the event and it will be a virtual experience. So one way or another, and it's crazy because this is our 13th year, (laughs) like lucky 13th. One way or another, there will be LEAP this year. We're confirming all of our speakers. We will have the exact same program that we were planning to have and either you'll attend live or it will be virtual. So I know some of the Australian schools called us this morning and said that they're not going to be able to travel out of the country and this and that and the other thing. So this, you're hearing it first right here now. It will happen either live or virtual. Let's just hope that this virus thing gets under control and by the summer it kind of dies down. Just so you know, typically the flu season here in the U.S. ends in April. So we should start seeing a decline if this mimics what the regular flu does. Another thing you need to know, too, is as of today, from the beginning of flu season in the U.S. alone, 16,000 people have died of the flu, which is nowhere, you know, what the coronavirus has done is nowhere near that. But, you know, it's sensationalized by the news. And so, you know, we just have to kind of take a wait-see approach. That being said, we are also going full steam ahead with our LEAP Gala to raise money for LEAP. That is going to be at the Jim Henson Studio. That will be April. Actually, we should have Michael dance at it. Do something. Um, we have uh, Kirsty from Pentatonix singing. We have Tony Braxton coming. Um, I would love to have you do something, but uh, that will be at the Jim Henson Studio. You can dance with Kermit, and uh, that's going to be April 29th. So if you go on our website, you can sign up for that. You can get tickets for that, and uh, there'll be all kinds of amazing silent auction and live auction and, and all that's happening. Um, Our podcast has exploded. I just got invited to be on five or six really, really big podcasts too, um, which will be cool because I'll pick up some more audience from there. But we are still number one in Poland. We are number three in Finland. We are in the top seven uh, in in 100. uh, No, we're in the top 100 in seven countries. And we're like 94th out of 47,000 in the U.S., And I think the thing that makes our podcast different is instead of just, you know, interviewing people and asking them like what they do and all that, one of the things I want to cover today, and we'll get to it near the end, is, you know, if you're a student watching this podcast or listening to this on my Instagram live and you want to learn 
what you should do, like right now, the steps you should take if you want to have a career like Michael's, he's going to tell you that, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So let me introduce Michael and uh, we'll get going. Um, is there anything else I forgot to announce? Nope. That, oh, Leap. Sign up for Leap. <laughs> Leap Week 2020 will be... Uh, July 19th to the 25th at the beautiful UCLA campus or right in your living room if we have to go virtual and uh, Corona will tell us. And by the way, there is no reason if you drink beer to stop drinking Corona beer. I can't believe people are afraid of drinking Corona beer. That's real. (laughs) Yeah, it's real. It's a real thing. Okay. Michael Demansky is a world-renowned Australian dancer known for his dedication and passion for the performing arts. His career began at the age of 13 as Billy, I was Billy at 13 also, (laughs) um, in the musical on Broadway, Billy Elliot. Uh, From getting a taste of being in the limelight at such a young age, Michael has continued to grace many stages, including Australia's So You Think You Can Dance, which he won, and they like to call them as Australia's favorite dancer, but we know it really means you're Australia's best dancer. Um, And then he embarked on a journey to Los Angeles since moving to L.A. He's been able to live some of his lifelong dreams. The list includes a tour with Disney's Newsies, which I went and saw you in, and he was phenomenal. Uh, Dancing for artists such as B.B. Rexa, uh, Sabrina Carpenter, starring in Travis Wall's uh, Shaping Sound, um, After the Curtain, and assisting the world-renowned Mia Michaels, our friend and mutual, um, most recently becoming the runner-up on NBC's World of Dance. Michael, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. So, first of all, how did that happen that you ended up on Broadway? I mean... To be honest, growing up as a kid, I was just very outspoken and uh, I come from a very social family. So dancing around the house was supported and all of that kind of thing. And I just found a passion for performing at such a young age. And I got into dance lessons uh, when I was around 10 years old. And I actually auditioned probably a year into taking dance class for Billy Elliot. And I actually got told that I wasn't good enough yet. So that, But they saw potential. So they actually wanted me to go away and train. And because I was so passionate about it, I actually went ahead and worked on the things that they told me to work on, which was my ballet technique and my tapping and all of that kind of thing. And then a year later, they saw so much progression and they actually wanted more billies for the show. So I went and auditioned a second time and they saw how much growth I had. And even though I still wasn't kind of up there yet with all the other billies that were performing the show, they just saw how much uh, growth I had. So they gave me the opportunity to perform. And this was in... Australia. I actually uh, was cast in Billy Elliot in Sydney, which is where I'm originally from. Oh, wow. So they cast that show there. So they were, I guess they were doing a global search. Yeah. So actually what happened is Billy originated in London. That's where it first came out. And then it actually came to Australia after. And then when the Australian production started to kick off, it actually started auditioning for Broadway. And so in my world, I was just being a Billy in Australia. And so uh, I did the show in Sydney and Melbourne. And then six months after the show had ended because it was just a short season of the show in, in Melbourne. Uh, I uh, got a call six months later and they were like, we need Billy's on Broadway. So they offered me the opportunity. How many Billy's were there? 
um, it rotated. I think there was around four of us and we do rotations. And is that mainly because of your age? They can't work you more hours or yes, something? Yes, it's that. Uh, it's, it, all, it all comes down to our age. It, it has to be divided evenly enough. And on top of doing the show, we still have scheduled classes that we have to take that are compulsory. We still have to be tutored. We still have to go to school basically. So they need to be able to fit that all in on top of us performing in a show. When you, obviously when you did it in Australia, your accent wasn't an issue. When you did on Broadway, did you have to do it with an American accent or they didn't care? Well, actually the Billy Elliot in, in Billy Elliot, the accent is a Geordie accent, which is something I'm oh. com- that's completely foreign to me right, and right, to right, any right. American. Think of that, yeah, right. yeah. So, uh, it was, it was definitely modified, I think, in the U.S. version because I think when in Australia we did a true Geordie accent and so people would understand. But in America, I think we had to modify it a little bit because sometimes that accent gets a little bit lost in translation. Right, right. Um, but overall, because it's that got that British twang to it and I'm Australian, it wasn't too hard of an adjustment for me to learn. When you came here and you did Billy Elliot at 13, how long did that run? I was in the show for about two years two and it years. was on and off here and there because I did it in Australia and then I had a break for about six months and then I went to Broadway and I did Broadway for about a year and then because I did well on Broadway they actually offered me to do the second national tour so then I finished my run playing Billy Elliot on the second national tour. So you don't send a 13 year old kid to America, like <laughs> one of your parents had to have stayed with you, or yes. Yeah, so yeah. my my mom came with me, and it was just to see my mom there with me and to support my dream and what I want to do. And you know, as much as you see me on Broadway and it's all positive, like my mom had to pretty much quit her job to come there with right, me right. and live there with me. And she can't; she wasn't on a visa that was able for her to work in the U.S. So she basically was just there with me, and I was the one working. So it was. I mean, props to her for doing that for me. Yeah, I'm so no, grateful. that's amazing. What a commitment. Yeah. Now, I've seen you dance. You're amazing. You. A lot of what you do is, is gymnastics, too. So, you know, I know you had to take ballet. You had to take tap. Did you have any formal gymnastics training? To be honest, um, as a kid growing up, I just was very fearless. Like I didn't, I wasn't afraid to like go backwards or, you know, I was, I always knew how to catch myself. And I just had a passion for like the tumbling side of, of dance, I would say. And I would watch gymnastics, the Olympics gymnastics in slow motion. And I would like try to mimic. And I actually, a lot of my basic tumbling moves, I, I self-taught myself to be able to do them. Just, um, I remember the first time I saw you dance, um, you did that little thing for, um, so you think you could dance you do that thing where you from splits, you just like, stand up. what do you call that? <laughs> I don't know what that movie is called. People actually, Sign- have put that as one of my signature moves because I it's tend to crazy. do it all the so time. It's crazy. So he goes from splits without any hands and just like <laughs> stands up. up. Sometimes I use socks because the socks are slippery on my heels. So that's a bit of a cheat. Oh, get me you up. cheated. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you, you can put all the socks you want on me. Not only would I never get in the splits, but if I did, I would stay there. <laughs> okay. So from Broadway, what happened? So after Broadway finished, I went back to regular school. I flew back to Australia, to Sydney with my family again. And I have two older sisters as well and my dad, of course, and my grandparents. So I was away from them for a really long time. And then I went back to school, um, finished high school. And then the moment high school finished, I was 18. And as soon as it finished, like it just the universe lined up 
So You Think You Can Dance auditions came up. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm the right age. I've always wanted to be on this show. I've watched the American version my whole life. So here's my opportunity. And then, yeah, I got into So You Think You Can Dance. It went from. Now, was Paula on the show with you then? Yes. This so is Paula, when I met Paula. Okay. Yes. So we met through Paula Abdul. Yes. So she was a judge for that show, correct? Yes. She was the, the lead judge you would say, um, on my season of So You Think You Can Dance. And actually the season that I was on was a brought back season because it uh, appeared on TV in Australia for three seasons and then it disappeared for about a couple of years. And then the moment I turned 18, they brought it back for one more more year and that's when I got to meet Paula. And then as soon as that finished is when you came here and did Newsies, correct? Yes. So what happened was Paula really uh, connected with me and my dancing ability and and, you know, she's very giving in that sense of wanting to help people and, and especially dancers because that's her true background. Right. Um, so I remember after the show had finished, I went ahead and had a meeting with Paula and we just chatted and we just spoke about like where I see myself and everything like that. And she kind of was the one who encouraged me to take the leap of faith to move to the United States and see what opportunities come up. And she actually really wanted for me to perform on the U.S. version of So You Think You Can Dance. And she actually made that happen. So as soon as that meeting was over, we were getting into the paperwork in order to get me over to the U.S. to perform on So You Think You Can Dance. She organized it. She introduced me on the season finale, I think, of season 12. Yep. Yep. I got to perform uh, one of my biggest dreams, I guess, to perform on So You Think You Dance America, especially watching it as a kid. Um, And then, yeah, after that, it was just I was on this hustle and this grind to kind of get the ball rolling as to working in the United States. And what was the the hardest part about that was even though So You Think You Can Dance was such a popular show in the US, the season I was on in Australia didn't necessarily reach a lot of international uh, countries. So basically moving to the US wasn't like, oh, it's the guy from So You Think You Can Dance. It was actually like, who is this guy? We need to find out who this guy was. Yeah. And there isn't a lot of Australian television that comes here. I feel like a lot of ours goes there, but not so much comes back. Um, So like I started in the beginning, if you are a young you know, person watching this and dance is your passion, what kind of tips would you give them for what they should be doing now and how to kind of break into the world? I guess my advice would be, honestly, the mentality I had growing up was just to continue to work hard and just to, I, I always kind of set myself a list of things I want to achieve and, and aim to achieve them. And my biggest thing I think is never having an expectation on anything and just doing the best that I can. Cause I feel like in my past, I've definitely put an expectation on something and that hasn't been met. So then I'm left disappointed. And now I've come to realize that with all these television shows, I've been on these competition shows, the power isn't in, in myself to be able to make myself win. The power is to just do the best that I can and let the people see how hard I work so that they can encourage me to keep pushing and, and to, to vote me to win, if that makes sense. But I, I think uh, another thing that is important to talk about, and you mentioned it earlier, is like, you know, when you originally went in, they said, okay, well, you have to work on tap and you have to work. I think that that if you're a dancer, you can't pigeonhole yourself 100%. too much yeah. because if somebody hires a dancer, they may need you to tap or they may need you to do rhythmic or ballet or whatever. Yeah. And I think that diversification is really critical. Yeah. That's the thing I'm grateful for as well. Growing up as a kid, I went to a dance studio that was 
trained, like you had to be a versatile dancer in order to be in the top classes and all of that kind of thing. And that really helped me, especially with So You Think You Can Dance. That show isn't just about doing what you're best at. It's doing all the styles of dance and showing people how many styles you can do. And that's another thing, just as a dancer, it's better to be able to do the other styles because you're not limiting yourself for the job opportunities that will come around. Because if you pigeonhole yourself as a dancer in one field, honestly, you're not going to get a job. You're not going to have a consistent kind of workflow you're going to have a one job for one month and then you're going to be off for two months and then you're going to be back yeah that's another thing i mean i understand the acting world you know i have an agent do you have an agent that books you or or are there like auditions all around la and you can just sell you know self-submit how does that actually work yeah similar to the way the acting world i would guess works is that we all have dance agencies there's about probably five or six in la that are like the ones that a lot of dancers are signed with and every now and then yeah there'll be a call to you know for someone's tour or so if you're a uh, serious dancer, probably the first thing you should do is what you, I'm sure you have to audition for these dance agencies, right? Um, yes, usually that, but now we have the world of social media and you can use that as pretty much a resume to show rather than having to go physically to an audition, you can set up a meeting. A lot of dance agencies are very open to letting anyone come in to have a meeting to see if there's a right fit. Um, you don't necessarily have to be you know, you don't necessarily have to dance in front of them in order to get a meeting. You can just call, you send in your stuff, then they'll probably get back to you and organize a meeting. And then you can see what happens from there on. So if you were just starting off, like, let's say you just finished college and now you want a career as a professional dancer in LA, what do you do? Um, that's really a hard question just because, I mean, I, I know a lot of people that do that and what, the, ri- the biggest risk you have to take, I guess, if you're not in like a big city, like say LA, is whether to decide if you want to stay in the city that you're in and continue to pursue a career in performing arts there and be comfortable, or you want to be a risk taker and you want to get on a flight and start transitioning into a way bigger city to be a small fish in a big pond. It just depends. Like people love a comfortable kind of setting or people love to take the risk. I'm more of a risk taker and I'll go for whatever the harder, the cha- more, whatever's more challenging. Uh, but yeah, most people you graduate, you either get on a flight or you stay where you are, but that's the next big thing is to get signed with an agency because that's how you're going to get those audition calls and those opportunities to, to meet and connect with um, all the people in the industry. The agency that you are at is called what? The agency I'm with is called GoToTalent. GoToTalent? Yes. So tell me what your like goals are right now with your career. Honestly, uh, because I've done theater in my past, um, that didn't pigeonhole me from the get-go. I kind of was having to sing and act and dance in one. Um, obviously, growing up and, you know, discovering what my true passions were, I, I levitated towards dance. And so I've been focusing on dance and that's why I've been doing all these dance shows because they've been opening up a lot of doors as, as myself, as a dancer. However, I definitely would love to see myself, uh, kind of getting back into theater and getting something that's a little less than just an ensemble and more of a lead opportunity. And I'm trying to get into singing lessons right now and, but practice on that because with dance, I've been working on it so much that I'm so confident in it and comfortable with it that I feel safe enough to push it aside for a little bit and focus on the other fields and get the confidence I have when I dance and put it in those other fields. Because if I can build confidence and feel good enough in one field, I know that I can transfer that to another field. 
I just have to train. So basically right now your real focus is performance, performance, performance. hundred yeah. percent. Um, would you ever consider like classes or programs or teaching or I actually like my, my main source of income right now is actually teaching masterclasses. Okay. Dance masterclasses. I get invited all over the U S and I've actually last year I traveled to probably more than 10 countries and taught masterclasses, um, around the world, which was really something I've always wanted to do just, just to be able to see the different cultures of how people dance and how people train, because it's so crazy to see how different everyone works. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's very inspiring and it helped me kind of even evolve more as an artist, as a dancer, because you get to pull inspiration from all these different countries you're in. Um, but that's actually what I'm doing mostly at the moment. As far as my income comes, as far as my income is, I do a lot of masterclasses and teach and I love it as well. It's not something that I'm just doing on the side. It's something I truly do care about because whenever I get a step into a classroom, I know that the students in there are there to learn something. And my biggest goal is to make sure they do. That's awesome. Yeah. So if students want to follow you on Instagram at what? At Michael Demeski, my Name. Yeah, D A M E S K I. And if you want to contact him, just DM him on there <laughs> and he will answer you back, right, yeah, Michael? That's right. <laughs> and I would love, if it works out and you're in town, I would love to have you do something at the Leap Gala. And whether we go virtual or we go live, I would love to have you do something at Leap as well. Yeah, let's organize All right? it for sure. Yeah. And Paula Abdul, thank you so much for introducing me to Michael. He is a very, very talented and sweet. <laughs> young man and um, with that Dr. Bill over and out to learn more about the Leap Foundation go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Leap Foundation on Instagram at Leap Foundation and on Twitter at Leap Los Angeles listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.